Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum to our listeners. You know, when we talk about reviving our Islamic lifestyle and reviving the lessons and the teachings of the Quran and Sunnah in our lives, today's topic is fascinating. It's an introduction into lost Islamic history. And I know you're going to want to stay with us for this, inshallah. Our guest today is Ummi Danyal Bilal. Uh, Ummi Danyal Bilal is a writer and a poetess, mashallah, tabarakallah. And she's going to be taking us through this topic of lost Islamic history. It's an ideal topic for you, no matter whether you're a school goer, whether you're at madrasa, homeschooler, an educator, a parent, a teacher, or even retired. This is something that we all need to know about, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ummi Daniel Bilal, welcome to Radio Islam. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hafidha Rehana. Jazakallah khair. I hope you are well. Ameen wa iyaki. Alhamdulillah bi khair. Alhamdulillah mu'allima. We're so, so excited to learn about this topic with you. But before we get started, tell us a bit maybe about why this topic is so fascinating to yourself. I think when we speak to our guests, uh, it's always it's always interesting to know why this topic is so interesting to them or fascinating uh, and gives us insight into that. Why is uh, the importance of learning about our lost Islamic history so important to you? Why are you so passionate about this topic? Okay, Aparihana, um, we like, as a family, we love to travel, you know. Um, Allah has afforded us the opportunity to travel to many places. And um, there's always the tourist things that get everybody's attention. But whenever we have traveled, we have always chosen the Islamic history root of things. Like we left for a period of time in Egypt and we discovered so much of Islam uh, in that place. And then there was Spain as well, which is so full of Islamic history. And then we did Turkey recently as well. And that is also so full of Islamic history. And when we go back in time, we see that uh, Muslims were because of deen and because of the spreading of Islam throughout the world, um, how much did they progress? And I think that when those things were eradicated and we've started becoming educated by the West, then we have to follow a basic curriculum. You know, there are things that we are taught and things that we are unable to question. So with slavery and everything that has gone by in time and it's been done away with, and they've made us believe that we are physically free, but mentally we are not free. Mentally we are conformed to certain things and we just um, see things the way they want us to see it. Whereas with when we go back into Islamic history and we see that with the spread of Islam, Muslims were free people. They were they were they were a self-educated people. They took things upon themselves and they learned. And like that, they shared the knowledge as they went along. So there's a lot of things in the past um, that are used in the present today, which all belong to Muslims, if you understand what I'm saying. And that's why it's such a close topic to my heart is because I think that we've lost all that in our lives. And that is why we as Muslims struggle today to find our place in the world and in society. SubhanAllah, so true. Struggling to find our place in society. Yes. That is so relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Ralima, let's go to the foundation. 
the basics. Jazakumullah for that. Why is it important for all Muslims? And we're talking about children, adults, the elderly. Why is it important for us to read, to research our Islamic history? What is it that we can learn from stories of the past, from people of the past? There's plenty that we can learn. And Islamic history is a very important part of who we are. And if we don't know our past, then like I mentioned, we will struggle to find ourselves in the present or the future. And this is something that we are battling with every single day. But the reality is that Muslims in the spread of deen and in spreading the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they became leaders. They were leaders in the world while they carried the message of Allah ta'ala around. So therefore, apart from the history of the prophets, it's important to study beyond that time also or to learn or to read beyond that time to a more recent era. Um, because I believe and I think that the, the past is actually our door to the future. If we know who we were back then, then we will be able to uh, find ourselves in the, in, the, in the future. If we go back and see what we achieved, what was um, the things that the Muslims had done back then and how they achieved those things, then we will be able to understand what is the route that we need to take, that we don't have to toe the line, that we can actually be the leaders of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Inshallah. You know, we know that Muslims for centuries were pioneers and they were leaders in fields of medicine, science, um, discoveries. By, by reading up, by finding out that many of these discoveries were first made by Muslims, uh, how does this motivate the youth of today? Um it can motivate them to know that if we put our minds and hearts to something, we can achieve it. You know, um, they had the quest for jinn. Their motivation was the akhirah. And they were successful in being inventors and being the, the, the successful explorers because their lives revolved around the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So they didn't sell their Muslim identity in the pursuit of wealth and success. So by holding on to the sharia and by holding on to the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they were successful. And that is something that we see common throughout history, that all the prophets, whether uh, not the prophets, whether it was the Sahaba, the Tabi'in, the Tabi'in, those that came after that, they all were strong in the adherence to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It wasn't that they were busy finding out things and then salah was missed or Quran was not read. Those were given priority from a very young age in their lives. And that is what governed them. And that is what made them successful. So I think if the youth read and if they understand that where the actual success lies, it will be, it, it will make them, it will make it easier for them to choose the correct path. Absolutely. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for our youth and for all of the ummah. Ameen. 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 In your one of your recent articles um, for a local publication, you touched on the importance, Malima, of Tawheed. And Gee. perhaps we could go a bit into that. Um, you know, what is Tawheed? How did this message spread in a hundred or less years? Let's talk a bit about that rapid spread of Islam in those first 100 years. We find even non-Muslim historians are so amazed by this. Can you tell us a bit more about that based on your article? 
Okay, you know, uh, Tawheed, as we know, is the crux of our belief system. There is no believing in the oneness. If there is no believing in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then everything of our life is null and void. Whatever good deeds we do, whatever salah that we are reading, whatever we are doing, if there is no belief in la ilaha illallah, then the whole life has been a waste. So that is the first Tawheed that we believe in. But then beyond this was practiced amongst the companions and those that were involved in the spread of deen that um, there is there is oneness in the human race as well. There is no segregation because of our color, creed, culture. And in the end, we are all the creation of Allah. And our sole object is to worship him alone. This was the message of deen, that despite the many factors that set us apart, there is one factor which brings us together, and that is la ilaha illallah. So, Tawheed encompasses a lot of things, that um, it doesn't matter your color, it doesn't matter where you are from in the world, that if you... Each person has to believe in la ilaha illallah, and this was their objective. There was no, um, that there was white superiority and black inferiority, or you came from this place, so you were not worthy of this, and you are from that place, and things like that, you know. Um, this one is superior because they are of this culture, or things like that. Everybody was treated equally, and that is what Islam teaches us, unity, because of la ilaha illallah. And then when we speak about the rapid spread of Islam in a hundred years, um, there were three main factors, if we look at it, that was able to assist them in that time. First and foremost is that their life object was to take the deen to the four corners of the world. If that was the whole object of their lives, you know, it, nothing else mattered. Their wealth didn't matter. Their families didn't matter. It was that each person needs to be um, reciting the kalima. So they had, if we look at the first thing that they had, which was the camel, um, it is able to stay without getting thirsty and travel for long periods of time without needing to be um needing to have water or food. And then there's the Arabian horse, which up until now we know is a very sought-after horse and sells for um, exorbitant amounts because of its high speed and resilience. So these two animals both enable them to travel far and wide in carrying um, the deen, in carrying this message to untouched territory. So they could travel through uh, forests and mountains and things like that uh, without difficulty. And then also we find something very amazing was the Arabic language. Um, those that are familiar with the Arabic language will know that it uses many different parts of the mouth. So like this, there are many languages that use accents. So it is stated and historians have um, reported that the Arabic language made it easy for the people to pick up on other languages. But apart from being able to pick up other languages, they were um, Arabic were, became like a language, a common language for trade also amongst the people because it was easy for other people to learn. So at one time, even the kings and queens of foreign lands used to speak fluent Arabic. So the Arabic language was one of the things that also helped in the spread of Islam in that short space of time. Oh, um, and when we look at where we are at right now, and may Allah make it easy for this Ummah. Amen. 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 Take us through a bit about a legacy and if we could ask specifically just a little bit about Uqba bin Nafi. Who was he? What was the legacy he's left for this Ummah? Uqba bin Nafi was known as um, 
the conqueror of Africa. He came to Africa with his a close relative of his who was Amr ibn al-As under the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu um, He settled in a place that we know as Khairwan and established the first Islamic institute on the, on the continent and is still known as one of the most valuable Islamic heritage sites. So from this, we understand that the object was not just to conquer the places and make them Muslim, but also to establish deen. And what we find common amongst all the Sahaba that were out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, it is stated of Uqba bin Nafi' that uh, Khairwan was a place that was full of uh, venomous snakes and dangerous animals such as lions and tigers and things like that. So he had made the dua to Allah ta'ala that Allah must keep them safe. And it is mentioned that people had seen the animals migrate to another place physically. And that was when a lot of people had accepted Islam at that point in Khairwan. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. Um, even just dua itself, we neglect that so much. Just the making of basic dua, we often rush after our salah. We don't wake up for the hajjud. And yeah. that's something we are so neglectful of as well. May Allah forgive us. Amen. 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 It is also stated that his, uh, reports have it that um, he was, it was one of the fastest conquering that has ever taken place. In the space of a decade, he conquered North Africa from east to west in the space of 10 years. So, um, and by foot. There's a lot of places where when you read about him, you will see that he's walked through to those places. And um, also reports still have it that between Lake Chad and the islands of uh, Mauritania, um, his descendants are still found there. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Over the last few centuries, we've seen, um, we've seen that many Muslims have been Latinized. Uh, that Muslim identity was erased by history. Why is it that we as Muslims today need to learn our history? And not only just learn our history, but learn that our history has been erased or um, or adjusted or eroded or edited uh, in, in, in the books of history. Uh, you know, how important is it, and I would say for our future generations, our youth, to consider careers in uh, historical restoration, in archaeology, in history itself. Okay, if we go back in time to an era which is referred to in the West as the Dark Ages, but in reality it was the Golden Ages of Islam, where approximately for six to seven centuries the Muslims had ruled. Cordoba, in Spain as we know it, was the largest city in the world. And people from all over the world used to come to learn, including the kings and the king, uh, queens. And it's, um, there are even letters of King George where he had written to the leader of that time to send the prince and the princesses um, to come and learn from the Muslims in Spain at that time. Um, it is also said that... Um, when Europe had no water, no running water in electricity, then Spain had water running from their taps. And not only electricity in their homes, but um, electricity on the streets. 
the streets were lit for maybe almost about 10 kilometers, it is stated. So libraries were must, which were filled with books, you know, hundreds and thousands of them. The palaces, the biggest room in the, in the palace used to be a library that used to have at least four to 500 books at a time. Um, and then when we find that when Spain had fallen from the Muslims, these libraries were also destroyed and just a handful of books were kept together. And together with destroying the libraries, um, the information and the credentials were also stolen and the Muslim identity was snatched and stolen from the Muslims. So from this, we understand that Islam was a religion of progression, unlike we are made to understand that it is backward. But if we dig deep and if we find uh, that the progress and inventions which were made back then are still used um, in today's times, they were of such good quality and such made with such precision that many of the things that are used today, like um, I've read that the irrigation system used in Spain from back then is still the what is currently used till now. So can you imagine over the years, um, the, the, the workmanship was so great that it's still there, but it's not common. It's not something that anybody would tell you. So if we go back and if we study and if we are able to find all those things, then we will understand how much we have to be proud of as Muslims. Yes, that's right. And I think that's so much to do with the identity crisis that our youth are yes. facing. You know, they struggle. Yes. Mm. Allahu Akbar. So much to think about. We're so grateful to you today. You really has opened our eyes and hearts to this. Um, you know, knowing that you're so passionate in this field, how can we use Islamic history now to inspire our youth? You know, we mentioned the need for our Muslims to be in these fields where our history records can be set aright and where the authentic history records of what Muslims did and what they achieved and what they accomplished and how Islam spread um, peacefully to so many parts of the world needs to be restored and that accurate history needs to come forward. How can we use Islamic history to now inspire our youth to go into academic studies and be the best in whatever fields they choose to? At the time that this program is, it will be the first quarter of this academic year. And there's still a lot of that excitement and interest. Many of our youth will be setting out to university. What advice would you have for our youth regarding I can't say advice as such, but I will just use the hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which we know is that every action of ours is judged by its intention and we will get according to what our intention is. So if we are going to make the dunya our object and our maqsad, then Allah will give it to us in that way. But if our near and our objective is going to be the akhirah, then we will attain both success in this dunya and the akhirah, which was what when we go back in history and we look at it, that is what the object was of each person, that the object was not to attain the dunya. Um, so like I was saying that it, we should make the object um, that when the youth decide on which path they are going to take, then how am I as an individual able through through my actions, through my character, spread the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can I invite another one, um, another person to accept Islam? And 
because the risk at the end of the day is written and whichever field the person chooses is only the means through which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to provide for the individual. So that worry of the dunya, Allah has taken care of. So our worry and our effort has to be for the akhirah. And that is what should be that how um, when we go back into history and we read about how they were, all their efforts were made for the akhirah and to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we make that the object of our life, then inshallah the, the dunya we part will also become easy for us. Inshallah. Ameen. Ameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with knowledge, with understanding, with a passion for this topic. And our listeners today may be wondering, how can they gain this type of knowledge and information? Or how can they gain it and pass it on to their children or their students? Are there any websites or resources that you would um, recommend for people to use so that they can also start rediscovering our forgotten Islamic history? Gee, there are quite a few um, uh, helpful resources. Uh, one I would suggest is the Islamic History Institute online. Um, they have courses which run as well. Um, there's also Brother Ismail Kamdar online that also does Islamic history courses. Uh, books to read, to name a few, I would suggest is um, there's the one of Brother Shafiq Wharton from uh it's called the Spice Islands to Cape Town. Then there's Abdul Hakim Murad, Traveling Home. Then there's uh, Lost Islamic History by Firaz Khadib, which is excellent. And then there are some things, some lectures that we can listen to, you know. Um, I find that very useful. Sometimes while we are busy with our work, uh, you just put on a lecture and you are able to listen to it and you can get so much of information from there. If you don't have time to set aside uh, to maybe reading or maybe studying a course or whatever it is. So there's uh, Brother Hakim, Brother Tofik Chaudhry. And there's also Sheikh Hakim Quick. Both are very excellent in these topics. Um, Sheikh Hakim Quick has um, a vast, 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 vast topics on YouTube where uh, people can actually just listen to his lectures. And also there's on Instagram, the Islamic History Podcast, um, which covers a lot. Mm, mashallah. We will share that again with you later today, listeners, uh, going through the points that Mualima has given. And again, the program will be up on podcast so you can play back on it. Uh, later on, you could share the link with others. It'd be wonderful if you share this in your community circles with the teachers uh, uh, who are educating your children uh, or in the community so that together we can have that, um, that, that revolution and we can start learning and we can start owning our Islamic history. And once we start learning and understanding, acknowledging, appreciating our Islamic history, we can help our children, help ourselves with our identity as who we are as Muslims and how we can go forward from here, inshallah. Um, we look at the, the time of the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhu ajma'een, and if we could ask yourself, which Sahaba story is your favorite? Uh, I know that will be a tough one, but one of your favorites. And what lessons have you taken from the Sahabi? Please. You know, it is very difficult to choose any one Sahaba, be it male or female. Um, what I do go by is that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said that 
all my Sahaba, my, like the Sahaba are like the stars. Whichever one you follow are like rightly guided. Um, when we look at all the Sahaba in totality, uh, before the coming of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, like we know the Arabs were full of people of vice. They did everything that was just wrong. Yet when they changed and Allah changed their hearts and turned them towards deen, then they become they became so exalted that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned them in the Quran. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. So um I, I, I really was unable to choose any one specific Sahaba for this specific reason is that because each one has something that we can learn from something that they have to offer. One was, you know, um, very strong in battle. Another was very charitable. Uh, one, one was very compassionate. Each one, one was a good uh, jurist. Another one was, um, and what the journey has been. So like this, if we take from something from each Sahaba, inshallah, and if we learn amongst them, and I think in today's time, especially when um, people don't regard the Sahaba as much, you know, and, and a lot of the teachings and a lot of the things that we see, that Sahaba have become secondary. Yet they were so, um, like, if it was not for their effort, Dean would not have reached us today. So it's, I think, together with when we when we learn about Islamic history, it's important that we revive the lives of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum as well. Absolutely. Jazakumullah khair for those very valid points. Um, you know, the, the article that we uh, alluded to earlier, how can our listeners um, have get access to that uh, article? Is it a website, a blog? How can they access that article, please? Um, it will be out, inshallah. Well, by the time the program airs, it will be in the current issue of the Muslim Woman magazine. Um, it's actually the first that we are doing. It's an introduction to lost Islamic history, and we hope to run it as a series um, for a period of time, inshallah, to take uh, people through all the different eras and how Muslims progressed and you know, from the Arab Peninsula, where did Islam go to and how it spread to the West and to all the different places, inshallah. Okay, so I, I know that in, in your in your studying, in your research of Islamic history, uh, each of these personalities are very, very much alive for you. Uh, they are not static, they're not just someone we're reading about, but going in depth in, in their, to their lives, makes them very much alive as, as they were. Uh, inshallah, one day in Jannah, with the opportunity to meet these personalities, um, if you could single out one of those personalities that you would get to meet, whether it's from the time of the Sahaba, the Tamirin, later generations, what would you say to them? Uh, what would you maybe acknowledge or thank them for in their legacy that they've left behind? Who would one of those personalities be that you would look forward to meeting in Jannah? And what would you say to that personality, him or her? What would you thank them for in the legacy they left for this Ummah? There's two such people that I would love to meet, inshallah. One is Khalid bin Walid, radiallahu an, and another is being Salahuddin Ayyubi. Um, both exceptional warriors. Um, and what I would want to tell them is I would want to thank them for their selflessness. You know, that is one thing that we find also common in them, that they were not selfish people, this world and their things. And you must know, if we look at Salahuddin Ayyubi, he was a king, but he spent most of his life living in a camp in a battlefield. 
that that was who he was and that is what um uh, he, how he loved, you know, uh, the world didn't mean anything, anything, anything to them. And I would just, and if there's one thing that I take from them is that to be selfless and unlike the world teaches us today to be selfish. Absolutely, absolutely. So much for us to learn in our character, in our adab from, from the history, alhamdulillah. Are there any concluding remarks that you would like to share with our listeners? Anything you wish to summarize for our listeners today? Um, I would just like to say that take the time out to read. You know, uh, we spend our time doing so much of things that are not going to benefit us. Like if we take social media for today, it's not going to benefit us in the dunya, nor in the akhirah. Yet if we take the time out to sit and read about um, the people of the past and what it is that they achieved with limited resources. Today we have all the resources on our hands, yet we battle with time. We battle to finish basic work for the day. You know, uh, those people in that time, they didn't have the resources. And that is why we find the Muslims inventing things and exploring places because they needed to go from one place to another. So they had to make the means. They had to basically start from scratch with nothing and create something out of it. So, um, and when we go back in time, like if we look at the Quran also, Quran is one third of stories. And not stories just because there's nothing better. Stories for us to take lessons from. And that is what history is for us to take lessons from, to see where we have gone wrong as an ummah and how we can come back and be who we are supposed to be. In in the past, we see that each person, an individual, whether it was a mother, whether it was the father, whether it was the child, whether it was the teacher, each person knew their respective place and their um, their their space in society. Nobody was struggling and nobody was fighting over the other. Um, if I take and I speak about women at large today or in general. We are battling. I think from everybody, women are battling the most under the banner of liberation um, that we need to be shoulder to shoulder with men and find ourselves in the corporate world. Uh, We have lost our identity. We have lost the plot of who we actually are and what Allah has made us and what Islam has given us as women. When we study who the men were and what they achieved, Behind them, we will find that they were their mothers. And I think this is one thing that I would like to touch on, is that the role of the mothers in society, in the world, which is being taken away today. The mother is is the primary caregiver in the home, and she is being removed from that space. But if we look at it at that time... um, the mothers were the backbone of the children. Maybe they were uneducated people, but the home and beyond was created where children could succeed, where the husbands could succeed, where the whoever it was that she was responsible became a success because of the sacrifice that she made. And today we are taking that woman who is um, supposed to, not supposed to, I'm not saying that it's something that, but but it is the, the nature which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a woman as. Like nobody will care for a child the way a mother can care for a child. So in that way, if you take her out of her space and put her somewhere else, and if you've got somebody else caring for that child, the child is not going to become who they are supposed to be because the, the primary caregiver is absent from the equation.
if Appa is understanding what I'm saying. So if we go back, like if we take Mohammed al-Fatih, who was the conqueror of Istanbul 800 years after uh, the prediction of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and who was behind him? It was his mother. At the age of four, when she looked over um, the state and she told him that that is the place that you will conquer one day. And when his father passed away at the tender age of 21, she told him, you don't have time to sit and mope for your father. You have a job to complete. You have to go and take over this place. So she was the backbone behind him. Yes, he did all the work, but his encouragement, his direction, his um, what he needed to achieve was the backbone. His backbone was his mother. So I think if we understand and if we go back, we as Muslims, like where we started off, we said we will find our place in the world and we will find our place in society. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. How important this Islamic history is for us to revive it. And it's our hope that um, listening into the program, our educators, our uh, parents, uh, homeschoolers, people, community members involved in the education of this ummah and our future generations. And that, uh, inshallah, uh, that learning our Islamic history, a lost Islamic history, becomes part of our syllabus. Um, I think we're learning a lot about Islamic history to a certain extent, uh, but there has come a time and a need, an essential need for us to expand that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree, Malima, on that, that we do have I Islamic history? Mm-hmm. I do agree. And um, like I find that when Islamic history is taught in the maktab stages and whatever it is, there's a lot to do with dates. You know, this battle took place on this date and these are the things that the kids need to memorize. But in actual fact, history should become a lesson whereby more like a terbiyat lesson. You know, what can they take back? How can it mold them? How can it change them? How can it build on their akhlaq? How can it build on their aqaid as people? That's beautiful. How does our Islam, how can our Islamic history learning that build on us at the core, like you said, from the level of Tawheed, from the root of who we are? You know, it needs to be embedded in our heart. Like we look at today, the, the children are with, um, I don't even know all these characters, but the Superman and Batman and I don't know which other man there is. But when they go back and they look, like if you look at Salahuddin Ayyubi, you look at Khalid bin Walid, um, I'm going to back, go back to more recent times, Tipu Sultan that was in India, they were real superpowers. They were the old superman. They were people that achieved things, you know. So those are the people that we need to instill, what our children need to become. Today they are after soccer players and cricket players and they want to make their hairstyles as such. But we need to revive these people and make them much part of our um, education system so that the children can aspire to be like them. If we're not going to bring them back in, they are never going to know who they are. And they are never going to know that people like that existed. Mm, absolutely. Knowing who we are and knowing our history so, so intricately, intricately tied together, connected. We can't se- separate our history from our identity today. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so fascinating talking to you. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned about reading and how important reading is and that that is what will help us in this dunya to, to make strides and to build as an ummah, but also for our akhirah. How would one develop a reading habit? Are there any tips you have? Because people seem to be so, you know, getting stuck in that vacuum of social media, that reading is slowly become a dying habit in many communities. Um, 
I mean, in, in many countries, and, as, and especially worrying, very worrying, is in Muslim countries where libraries and bookstores are, are practically empty. They're more like showrooms. There's hardly anybody buying books. People don't buy. People don't loan books from the library. People don't visit libraries. Many people don't have a library card even. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so what can we do as an ummah? What, what, what's the first step? I'm talking about us as adults because... We cannot be, you know, shouting out and preaching to our kids that you need to read more. But as the parents and caregivers, we're not setting that example, showing that example for us adults. Where do we start to develop or rediscover love for reading? What do you suggest? You know, um, that's, uh, it's a very hard one. But I would say also we can take it from social media. There's everything available on social media. And I know that in homes, discussion takes place around that as well. Did you see this one on Instagram today? And did you see what they were doing there? And on Instagram itself, there's a lot of resources which a person can follow. Um, The articles are short, you know. Just read a little bit about it. And I promise that Islamic history is so fascinating that it's sure to intrigue something in you, you know, that you will want to know more and more and more about it. Um, So I think let's just say if we take Instagram for instance and we tell a person, okay, start following certain pages, like from whatever you are following, influences that are of no benefit and instead of for ladies that are, you know, uh, people that are busy with makeup or fancy restaurants, unfollow them and start following somebody that's a bit more beneficial for your deed. Somebody that uh, you can see is a better role model. See how they have changed their lives. Follow their pages. Read a little bit because on those sections, there's maybe a paragraph or two that you can read. And as you get intrigued and as it um, sparks something inside you, inshallah, from there you will be able to go further and further. And maybe if not reading, like I mentioned earlier, that if a person's able to listen to a lecture, you know, sometimes you don't have the time to put aside uh, to read. We do spend time, either it's watching TV or listening to something in the car, make it something more beneficial that you can listen to so that you can relate those same things to your kids at a later stage, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah, alhamdulillah. Jazakumallahu khairan, Mu'alima, for your time today, for taking us down through history, for inspiring us to want to read and research and learn more and fall in love with our lost Islamic history. And for all the inspirational uh, narratives you've shared with us uh, that really wet like to want to go back and to rediscover history and in doing so... Uh, discover our identity and our purpose and refine our character, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you in beneficial knowledge. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you the opportunity to, to see all of his beautiful earth um, and to continue writing and exploring. Uh, and uh, we really look forward to engaging with you later this year again and to learn yes. more with you. And all the best for this article series. It sounds exactly um, There was just something that the producer asked me to read out from something that I have written. I don't know if I was supposed to have done it early in the program, but maybe we can just end off with this now. Um, it was something that I had written um, a couple of months back when I just, uh, you know, with regards to the Dark Ages. So may I go ahead with it? Please do. Yes, please. 
Okay. So many a times referred to as the Dark Ages, but in reality it was the era of great sages. When the Muslim leaders were upright, we had the ability to shine bright. Though receiving little recognition, we were the masters of invention. The Islamic golden era, where we even invented the pinhole camera. From coffee to mathematics to the clock and physics, from A to Z, there was so much for the world to see. For approximately six centuries, Muslims excelled, when in every aspect, deen was upheld. As we began to dwindle, we were unable to twinkle. When Islam lost its core, then we ruled no more. Allah removed the privilege because we strayed from our heritage. Mm. How beautifully summarized the lessons, mashallah, and the reflections from today's. It, it comes in perfectly, mashallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us, inspire us, fill our hearts with love for our deen, love for the ummah and concern for everyone. And may this be the start of a revolution towards changing our lives for the better and being a ummah, inshallah. Ameen. Jazakallah khair for this opportunity, Abba Ameen. It's been such a pleasure. Jazakumullah khairan to you and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. On today's program, we've been speaking to Ummi Danyal Bilal, a writer and poetess on the topic, The Lost Islamic History. This was an introduction to it, and we look forward to, inshallah, learning more from Walima in coming weeks on the program, coming months, inshallah. Uh, if you are following through with the Muslim Woman magazine, you can look forward to, in the coming weeks or months, a series on Lost Islamic History. Insha'Allah. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program. The program will be up on podcast uh, within 24 hours. We encourage you to go to the website radioislam.org.za download it, listen on the podcast section and share the link with others. Let's get the conversation going about Islamic history, about honoring it, about reading, researching, learning it and taking lessons from it. Until we meet again next week, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.